Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Clare. How you doing, Michelle? I'm doing wonderful. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm very good. A little chilly here, as you know. It's just terrible, but summer should be around the corner, I hope. So what's it doing out in Gilbert these days? Is it warm? Yeah. Oh, it's warm. I just think we're about 97 today, so we are warming oh up fast. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> That's warm. Spring time here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Well, glad that you're here tonight because you know we've got a super-duper guest. We're going to bring her on in just a few minutes, but first let's check in about what you've got offering to your clients and new people that might want to have an experience of mediumship. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I always am open to doing one-on-one readings for people, so that's a lot of fun. But I have a Channeling Basics online workshop coming up on May 5th, and then I have Sound Energy and Reading Healings up in North Scottsdale. So if you're in the Phoenix area, that's an in-person event. Then I've got a couple online events this month, and I also am working the Phoenix Psychic Fair in person um, on May 29th. So there are plenty of opportunities to connect in big and small ways. Yes, and some in person, which is a nice change yes. after COVID. So that's great. Now, somebody asked me, how long are your readings? Do you do hour long or half an hour, or how long are they? Um, I do half hour or, or hour. So those are the options okay. with those. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. Very good to know. So I have a little story for everybody. And it's not on our Facebook page yet, but I'm looking for things to post about it because it's so interesting. Now, this happened about mm-hmm. 27 years ago. And I don't know why I never heard about it, but I didn't. So there were, were these hikers. And they were hiking around northern New Mexico in a remote canyon and they discovered this natural rock structure then inside of it was a massive 
incredible amount of artifacts, and it all belongs to a culture that nobody knew about, nobody recognized. There were 23 really? chambers, 23 chambers, yeah, in there. They oh found wall God. paintings. They found alien technology and strange <laughs> encoded hieroglyphics. Now, by most appearances, this was like a natural history museum from an alien race. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it became known among the researchers as ETC, or Extraterrestrial Time Capsule. Now, what's really, really sad about this is, of course, guess who took it over? The NSA. So really? they just, hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, this is so upsetting because here's this amazing find, and it has all this, this great stuff in it, but they took everything into their laboratory for their own agenda, which we know what that is. It's always to militarize, to weaponize, all of these things, and keep it from us. So uh, this organization was known, this NSA thing uh, that did this, Advanced Contact Intelligence Organization, ACIO. And so until recently, nobody even heard about them. Nobody even knew who they were. So because of the carbon dating analyses, it was initially assumed that this uh, 23-chamber time capsule was left behind by ETs that had visited the Earth in 8th century A.D. However, it wasn't until 1997 that the encoded language found within the site and its artifacts became accessible to the ACIO. And it was then that it was determined that the time capsule was actually designed and built by a future version of humankind who were adept at interactive time travel. And they called themselves... You're going to love this name, Michelle. They called themselves Wingmakers. Wow. So that's the story. And there are some things floating around that claim to have original information about these chambers. So I'm looking it up, and I'll be happy to post whatever I find. And, again, this is so exciting and at the same time so discouraging that these uh, NSA people and others have taken it and keep it from us so we can't enjoy the richness of this find. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, and just the knowledge that would be in there, right? So much knowledge about the future. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and and I would imagine that they've uncovered things about energy, things about healing, things that could be Mm -hmm. very valuable to changing our planet over uh, to one that's cleaner and healthier for everybody. But they have this uh, this way of doing that, don't they, where they, they come in and they take everything and hide it away so we don't get the benefit of it. But, again, like I said, there are some pieces of information still floating around out there that are worth taking a look at. So whatever I find, I'll share. And if we do find an expert on this, uh, these wing makers, I'll bring them on the shelf. I think it would be a fun and exciting discussion. Absolutely. What do you think? Oh, I think it sounds, so. it sounds intriguing. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that it was just these hikers that were walking around that discovered it and it was hidden up until then. That, I guess they discovered it sometime in the seventies. So quite some well, time Well, and it ago. makes you think there's probably more of those. 
that's probably not the only one that was planted, especially if it's from um, the future in that sense, because they would know they would need to leave different places for people to find them. So maybe somebody yes. will find another one, too. I hope so. I hope I find one, and I'm not going to tell anybody yeah. about it until I can yeah, make sure I that we get do. it first and we, you know, we can disseminate the information <clears throat> before anybody comes to take it away so that we can, we can get it together and share it somehow before it gets taken over, right? That's what we have to do. Yes. That's our plan. Okay. Sounds like a good one. We got it. <laughs> so tonight we are talking about plant diva wisdom. Now this is a new dimension of herbal medicine. Now some of these things are old ways, but our guest tonight, Thea Summer Deer, is bringing it all back around, and she's helping to teach us everything we need to know. Now, you know these are tough times coming up with food shortages, you know, all the food processing plants that have burned down mysteriously. There's a lot going on that will interfere with our normal flow of getting supplies. And herbs are so valuable for so many things, for medicine, for healing, for for eating. I mean, we need to know about them. And Thea Summerdeer is a clinical herbalist. She's also a singer-songwriter and childbirth educator. And Thea was raised with Seminole Indians in South Florida until the age of eight. And she now lives surrounded by Cherokee ancestral land in the Appalachian Mountains of western North Carolina. And she has this beautiful new book out. It is called Wisdom of the Plant Divas, Herbal Medicine, for a new earth. So, Thea, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patricia and Michelle. I'm so glad to be here with you. We are Great so happy to, to have, have you. you. Yes. Yeah, you're some, supernat- you're some supernatural girls, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are. Believe me, we are. We live what we, what we do. We really do. We have some wild stories here. But this is a topic... <laughs> That is so important, and that's why we wanted you on the show. We want to know from you all of what you know that you can possibly stuff into 90 <laughs> minutes for us um, about this. And as we were talking off the air, you know, gardening is is very tricky. It can be very challenging at times with the weather and all kinds of things. So we need to know how to connect, how to speak to the divas, how to bring them to our gardens, how to work with the medicine wheel garden, all of these things that you have in this beautiful book. But first, tell us about you. So you were originally raised by Seminole Indians. and So tell us what that was like. Well, I wasn't raised by Seminole Indians. I was adopted and raised at a Seminole Indian village. My parents were uh, white, and it's a very interesting story. My, it's a, let's see, long story short, white man buys Indian land and says to the Indians, uh, you can continue to live here in your traditional manner, but now you work for me. So my grandfather mm. came in, bought, bought that land, had intended to develop it, and, of course, we're going back to the 40s. And um, he then my grandmother took sympathy to the Indians that had developed a way of life there 
trading with tourists. So they saw it as a business opportunity to turn it into a tourist attraction, which they did. It was called the Musa Isle Indian Village. And they still lived in their traditional manner in their cheekies right there on the Miami River. And uh, we lived there with them. And it allowed them to continue their way of life for longer than they would have as the city of Miami grew up around them. So it was Mm. an, an incredible early childhood experience for me because the first thing that I laid my eyes on was native culture. And that informed me through the, you know, the language, the colors, the customs, all of that. And, um, and then I later went on to marry a native man, but it was a very powerful early formative experience of really walking between the worlds, between the, you know, the white world and the native world. And that's been kind of a theme of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, well, that was quite magical. And God bless your grandmother. She really supported what the Seminole Indians were doing. Yeah, she, uh, her, her grandmother came west in a covered wagon from, uh, you know, and, and settled in Cheyenne, Wyoming. They, they were pioneers. So she was a, came from a lineage of pioneer women. Gosh. Hmm. I wouldn't want to mess with her. So this is how she got uh, this going, and your grandfather didn't dare go up against her, huh? <laughs> no. In fact, I'll just tell you something else about my grandmother. Is she was the first woman in this country to get a degree in physical education. She um, wow. at the University yeah, of Michigan, when they finally allowed women to get a degree in, in PE, she was in the first graduating class. So she was a tough cookie. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. That's exciting. Yeah, good for there her. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And, and she passed this on to you, obviously, and, and you were able to have such a magical early eight years. That's terrific. And now you live in the Appalachian Mountains. So that is Cherokee ancestral lands. That's for sure. So you, you still feel here, the magic yeah. around you. Yeah. Absolute, absolutely. Well, the Appalachians are some of the oldest mountains in the world and as a result of that they survived the ice age uh, like the mountains in china did so that's why you see all of these medicinals coming from china and from you know the appalachians because it survived the ice age and we have the widest diversity of herbal medicine herbal medicines and plants in the world no kidding i didn't know that Mm-hmm. Hmm. wow so I, do, so, yeah, so I do a lot of wild crafting. I get to, I can go hiking, uh, just pretty much almost out my door, and um, and get to you know connect with all these medicine plants. And you obviously know what you're looking for. You know what they look like, and you know what's poisonous, and not to take that. So you have a, a vast knowledge that's just inherent with what you do, which is great. So, well, they tell us they say how, that all how that. Yeah, they they say that all plants are poisons. It's just a matter of dosage. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. wow. <laughs> I never thought of it that way before. That's good to know. So very much, very much learning. There's, uh, it would be take lifetimes, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you talk in your book about the divas, and this is a very, very powerful 
experience I'm sure that you can tell us about and and how to work with the divas and and get actual plant knowledge right from the plants. So tell us how does that work? Well, that's a really good question. And maybe if I told you how how I discovered them might color this in a little better because it was not something that I even really knew what it was until they told me who they were. And I was living on the um, the Blue Ridge Divide. Like, I literally was living on the Blue Ridge Divide, and it was a magical, powerful piece of land. And I was nearing the end of my fertile years. And, as, you know, as a midwife, I was very connected to uh, the feminine mysteries. It was something that was very sacred to me, and I got the impulse to offer some of the last of my menstrual blood to the garden. My husband and I were growing a garden. We had a beautiful raised bed garden and a tilled garden. And uh, just as a little aside, he is called the Green Man. And the reason for that is because he was born on Green Man Day, which is the Festival of Beltane. And there's more to that story, but just know that he's the Green Man. And okay. so when I got <laughs> when I got that um, that impulse to do that, I thought, well, what you know, I was in a committed relationship, and I thought what would be more incredible uh, to offer something that's also sacred to me, which is a part of him. And so I thought, well, what if I combined some of his semen with my menstrual blood and offered that to the garden? And um, I didn't know how he was going to take that, but he was game. <laughs> so, so we did Green Man was okay with that. <laughs> he was down with that. And so I did that. I took it down to the garden and I thought, now where in the garden am I going to make this offering? And I, you know, I was looking at the strawberries and I was looking at, you know, this area and that area. And I kept getting pulled to a particular area of our yard that is overgrown. And I just kept getting pulled, and I thought, well, I don't want to go over there. That's where the berry briars are. It's prickly, and it's, you know, why would I give something over there where it's all not tended? And, and I, but I kept getting pulled, so I thought, oh, well, of course. This is a kind of a wild thing that I'm doing. Why wouldn't I give it to the wild part of the garden? Hmm. So I did, and that opened a portal. And that wow. process of giving that to the earth where the, all those berry briars are. I think, you know, the fairies like to hang out in there. It's kind of protection or something. But anyway, so I made the offering in a sacred manner, and a portal opened, and I saw these luminous beings, and then they started talking to me, and I was like, whoa. And they started, they were really excited that I had done that, and they wanted to share information with me. And I literally ran to my computer and started typing. I did not know what I was typing. It was coming through too fast. Uh, I just entered it as it came. And then I read it, and I went, oh, my God, this is like I couldn't have made this up. And then I showed it to a friend of mine, and she's like, oh. She said, oh, my God, you need to write a book. So that actually happened nine years before the book came out. So it was a process of, of connecting with these energies and being guided by these energies and starting to listen to 
um, you know, to how they were guiding me in the garden, and it was became an incredible metaphor for my life. So, um, so yeah, that was a a powerful. So that's how you met them. That's how I met them, and they told me they were devas, and I'm like, what are devas? So I had to look it up, and you know, deva means body of light, and I had always known, you know, I've been on a spiritual path for a long time, and I feel very strongly that we're evolving into our light body. So that, you know, when they told me that, I was, and I looked it up, I went, well, of course, you know, that's why I saw them as these luminous, you know, orbs. And the devas hold all of the cellular blueprints and genetic codes in their memories mm. so that even something that has gone extinct, if there's a great enough need for it, it can come back from that place where they hold all of those memories of uh, everything. Gosh. So they're pretty powerful in what they know and what they have. And here you opened a portal so you could actually speak with them. And now, how did it evolve from there? Because obviously you did something pretty powerful. How did you work with it after that, other than writing the book? Well, it it kind of started as, um, I guess I would say divination, where I got to where I just started, you know, one, one I was already, you know, growing herbs, and I had grown herbs in my midwifery practice to use in my healing practice, but I, one day I was in the kitchen and I was, you know, I love to cook. Uh, I'm a slow food artist. <laughs> and I was pulling <laughs> herbs off of my, you know, spice rack. And I realized I was divining with the herbs. It was like, you know, I, I just, you know, there's a certain amount of knowledge of what combines with what and all of that. But in that process of it, just experimenting as I was cooking, I realized that I was just, they were calling to me. It was like this jar would say, use me, you know, or this jar would, other jar would say, no, no, use me. And so I got to where I realized it's like, I'm actually divining with these herbs. And then that got me to thinking about, well, you know, what does that look like divining with herbs? And so that was what started the process of actually writing the book because, you know, the messages, or the divinations, the book is broken up into three sections. In the middle, each each herb that I talk about in the book has three sections. And the middle section is the divination. So that becomes a bridge between the botanical information. So it's a bridge between botanical uh, medicine and what most people know of as plant spirit medicine, and the divination is the bridge. So... You know, there's the story of what we know about plants or what we think we know about plants because that's always evolving. And that might be, you know, their history, their story, their uses, their constituents, you know, all of, all of that, the story of the herb. And then the divination created the bridge. And then the third section is the Deva Speaks, which where I am actually channeling like that day when they first day that they started to talk to me I just opened up you know I, I just uh, in fact you know I didn't even know what herbs to choose I mean I originally thought oh I'll make it as a 48 card divination deck <laughs> you know and then it was right. like, they're mm-hmm. like oh no no that would be way too much you couldn't work with that much energy so 
So I said, okay, well, who wants to show up? And that was how it happened. It's like whatever plant showed up, that was who I worked with. And then I, um, you know, I aligned my energy with them. So there's a resonant frequency, and we can talk more about that, but I just got on resonant frequency with them. And, you know, and that might have meant, you know, dreaming with them or, you know, taking them in some form, whether it was a tincture or tea or just having it around me or a flower essence, it depended on the plant. And I just, you know, allowed it to be in my field so that I could connect with its energy. And then I opened myself up to receive the channeling from that plant. And that's the third section of each herb chapter in the book. So that's a lot of really great information. Now, what if you're older and you want to open a portal? What do you use? Prayer. <laughs> mm. Okay, and that's that's I, easier. I, 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 well, you know, and it's true for the young ones, too, whether you're older or young. And I have to just say I love that you asked that question because my granddaughter asked me the same question. How oh. do I talk to the plants? How do I talk to the plants? It was weird. She was here. You know, she visits me, and she was here, and I was um, taking her back to her mom, who's, I don't know, about an eight-hour drive away. And the whole time she was with me, she wasn't asking about any of that. But on the drive home, she finally said, Grandma, how do you talk to the plants? And, and of course, I just had to channel in that moment to her. And I, because, I, you know, it's a process of coming into relationships. So, you know, how do I tell this to her? in a way that she's going to get it. And I said, so prayer is what came to me. And I said, well, you have to open a portal. And she's like, well, what's a portal? And, and uh, I said, well, it's, a, it's an energy field into another dimension. And one of the ways that you can do that is by making a prayer. And she said, what is a prayer? And I, mm-hmm. that, shocked, that shocked me. And I said to her, I said, well, mm-hmm. I said, you know, your mom is was raised Catholic and your other grandmother's Catholic. I said, don't they ever pray with you? And she said, no. And that actually inspired me to write a song called Grandmother's Prayers, which oh, I released nice. on my last re- on my last record. But then, mm-hmm. you know, it was just sharing with her the power of our intention through the way that we ask. Um, for whatever it is, you know, it, if you wanted to uh, receive something or see something, be present with something, is to tension behind the words mm-hmm. th- that are spoken. To I get would real intentional. The, so, mm-hmm. the, sa- the same intention is what you would do when you're planting. A garden because you can throw stuff in the ground and hopefully it grows. But what you're talking about is having a complete relationship with these herbs and plants. So it's not just throwing them in the ground if you're going to be planting something. There's a lot more to it than that. How would you suggest people plant? Well, one of the things I love, I mean, there's so many different ways, you know, that we can come and re- come into relationship with all of the elements that go into garden gardening you know fire water air and earth but Mm -hmm. one of the things i love is you know when i put a seed well one thing you should always walk barefoot in your garden because Mm. plants the plants have evolved concurrently with us so they have been developing their chemistries 
there's no accident that, you know, certain plants treat, have, you know, they have system affinities and they treat us specifically for different things. And there's a reason for that, and that's because we have evolved concurrently with the plants as they have adjusted their chemistries to ours. So when you walk barefoot in the garden, they can read your energy. They can read your chemistry, and then they can make that adjustment. The other thing I love to do is before I put a seed in the ground is I'll put it in my mouth so that it's coated with my saliva so that seed is now reading that signature of my you know, of my physical DNA body form. So now as it grows, it's, you know, I have put that intention into that seed and then that seed will adjust its chemistries for, you know, for what I need. And that that's just a big broad brush stroke. But I think those are two things that, you know, people who are gardening can can do is walk barefoot and, and uh Put your seeds, put some spit on those seeds. <laughs> so more of your own energy. <clears throat> yeah, and just coming into relationship, you know, with everything that you're doing. Because when you're nurturing a garden, you're coming into relationship with it. It's kind of the same, you know, we're so disconnected. It just helps to heal the disconnect. And it's like that with the herbal medicines and this is such a big part of what I do with herbal medicine is that herbal medicines the longest lasting result from herbal medicine is in its tonic ability to to restore whole bodily systems so what I mean by a tonic is something that is taken consistently over time mm-hmm. and you know, a, a lot of people, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna elaborate on that here just a minute if you don't mind. But when people hear that I'm an herbalist, a lot of times they'll say, "Oh, you're an herbalist. Well, you know, I've been taking this pharmaceutical. What can I? I want to do something more natural. What can I take instead of the pharmaceutical? Or I have this pain. What herb can I take for it? Or I have this symptom. What herb can I take for it? But that is not. Not that herbal medicine can't work in that way, but that is not how it works energetically. It works energetically when you take it as a tonic because that allows it to restore whole bodily systems, something taken consistently over time to restore the whole system. You're not just treating symptoms, but that takes a a certain commitment because you've got to be in relationship with that plant. And what that means is that you know, I mean, growing it is one thing, but just to prepare the herbs, let's just talk about an herbal infusion. So if you're making an herbal infusion, you are, um, you know, you're buying the herb, you're steeping the herb, you're straining the herb, you're smelling it, you're tasting it, you're swallowing it, you're digesting it, and you're eliminating it. So there, it, there's a whole process of, and, and you're making that effort on a daily basis because you're taking it every day. And it brings you into relationship with the plant because all healing takes place in the context of relationships. Mm. So if you're growing your medicine, and we know our food is our medicine, so if you're actually growing, even if it's just one plant that you have in your house, 
you know, when you grow it, then that's a whole other dimension of coming into relationship with it. And we know from the incredible studies that have been done um, through, you know, Marcel Vogel's work with plants and the secret life of plants and the work that Findhorn has done, um, you know, we know about the power of, you know, when, we can, when we're in relationship with, with these, uh, you know, with these plants. So when you grow it, then it's just a whole other dimension of coming into relationship yeah, I, and it's so it's so different working with an herbalist like you or a Native American herbalist where there is that relationship rather than just this plant does this, this plant does that, let's combine them, here's your tonic. There is a much deeper uh, inspiration, I think, when you work with plants and herbs like you do. So well, it, it is important. It's, it's a, yeah, and it's a specific model. See, so... So Western medicine, you know, is what the tools of Western medicine are drugs and surgery, and that is a way of thinking. So when someone says to me, what herb can I take for this symptom, I know they're thinking within the box of the Western medical model or the mechanistic model. Herbalism is an energetic model. And we, part of the problem is people don't, you know, when you're working within, and we've been indoctrinated into a Western system, so all of our reference points exist within that system. So it's hard for people initially. That's why I do so much education. It's hard for people initially to learn how to think outside of that system. Well, it is because, you know, the Western mm-hmm. system is all about quick. Take the pill. You're done. Exactly. You know, there's, Who wants there's... to have to make a, a quart of herbs every day and drink it every day for three months? They you know, that takes commitment. Everybody's like, no, give me a pill, fix it, make it go away. I want it now. Yeah, and it has to have an immediate result. I mean, nobody that's part of that traditional system is tolerant of having to wait. They don't want to wait. Yeah. And and they don't care if there's side effects. It's like, I want it now. Now, sometimes it's reasonable because you're talking about severe pain or something like that. People need relief can't even think straight when they're in agony. So sometimes it's a temporary thing. Those medications certainly have their place. But what you're talking about in the the all-over tonifying of a system, bringing it back, the whole system, bringing that back up to health, that does take time. It does. And, you know, we need a truly integrative model. And, unfortunately, we don't have that. What we have is a Western model that just wants to assimilate the Eastern model because of the money that's involved in that. So there's a lot of lip service being given to integrative medicine and doctors trying to start to include more of that into their practices, but they don't, they are not taught that. Who do you think they're going to learn that from? They have to learn that from an herbalist who has their feet on the ground and is in relationship with the plants. Otherwise, all they're going to be able to do is work with plants within that Western mechanistic model, and that's why we see uh, so many alternative medical practitioners just wanting to throw herbs at things, but it's not, it's not how they work. Right. They don't really work it well that way. And I think people get frustrated because they're downing all these herbal capsules and uh, they're not getting big results, so they don't, and they won't. That's right. And situations yep. like that. Now, you mentioned yeah, Finhorn, and we did mm-hmm. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, when you take it in a capsule like that, you're you're not smelling it, you're not tasting it, you're not, you know, having that relationship. It's when you actually prepare the herbs yourself. Yeah, right. That's that's a very different thing. And I, I'm one of the people that takes a lot of capsules and pills, and I can't stand it. I mean, I get to the point some days, I, I just can't take these pills today. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they do make me feel better, but <clears throat> it is... It gets to the point of being very frustrating. <laughs> it takes all these vitamins to make up for what's not in my food anymore. Um, cause our mm-hmm. food is just so debilitated. So, yeah, <clears throat> but I think it's very important to have the information that you have in your book and how to work with these herbs, how to grow them. Because, again, that's what so many people that are new gardeners are going to find very challenging. It's not that easy to grow herbs and vegetables and, and things like that to support yourself through uh, what's coming. So having a relationship with your plants makes a lot of sense. And we were talking off the air about Finhorn. Can you mm-hmm. share what you know about that? Because that was quite the place and what they accomplished. It really was. You know, I, I got fascinated by that, uh, I guess it was the 80s, when uh, the Springers and then all that information came out, uh, the uh, Spangler, rather. It's been a while. So then in, or that would have been the late 70s. And then in the 80s, I was given the opportunity. Uh, I was, uh, I had uh, married a man who owned Mind Body Press. He had used that as a way of publishing his books before he became uh, more widely published. And we ended up buying Findhorn Press. So I had access to the, those materials and information and have been fascinated by it. I've never been to Findhorn. But I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, just a little story that I'll tell because, you know, I, I also have Irish ancestry, and I don't know if that is part of what, you know, gets really gets me going about the fairies and and uh, you know those those nature spirits and the magic that happened in um, in Sindhorn, that incredible magic. And I was the story that I want to tell is this, is a story about Marcel Vogel, and I had mentioned him earlier as one of the people who did those you know, the secret life of plants that did some of those early experiments with plants where they hooked up electrodes to, you know, the leaves and they learned that, you know, a plant even a block away would be sensitive to something somebody was feeling, you know, a whole block away and just how plants communicate with each other in that way. And, um, but he's also very well known for having developed the, the Vogel cut crystal. And his right. original, his original work was, um, he was an IBM scientist. And through some discoveries that he made, it put him on a more metaphysical path. And he did this experiment, and, and I want to tell this story because I think it illustrates the power of intention. And I think that's what was happening in Sindhorn. There was such a powerful intention about what they were doing. And so, what, so one of his experiments, Vogel's experiments, is he took a he, – so he's working with crystals. And we know that crystals store, amplify, convert, and cohere subtle energies. So he took a, uh, a 
bucket of water on one side, and he took a bucket of fertilizer on the other side, and he put a crystal oscillator between them. And what he was doing was oscillating the frequency of the fertilizer into the water. And he did these experiments, and then they were able to use that water that never touched the fertilizer to water plants and get the same results as if they had been fertilized. And other Hmm. scientists observed these experiments. They observed that. They confirmed it. Yes, there's no fertilizer in the water, but we're getting the results as if there were. And, um, and, but when they tried to repeat the experiments, they did not get the same results. So they were scratching their heads going, okay, what is, what is the going on here? And what they discovered was that love is the cohering force. Hmm. And it was who, who Marcel Vogel was in relationship with the experiment that he was doing that he got those results. And the devas, you know, talk about love a lot. And I think that maybe was what was going on there, was that there was such a, a, a high frequency, high love vibration for what they were doing and the land that they were on and the, and the energies that they were working with and the, and the spirits that they were calling on for help that, um, that it cohered those energies, and they were able to produce what we might call miracles, but we know that miracles happen every day. Yeah, that's amazing. And because we were talking about Finhorn, the original Finhorn group, and the things Mm -hmm. that they achieved and what they grew, these things were enormous. I mean, these vegetables were were just beyond gigantic. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they're getting the same results today. So we might be able to surmise that, in fact, it's because of the change in the guard here and the change in the people in the group. Because what Finhorn did, has anybody ever duplicated that? I don't know. I mean, the thing I think of when you say that is I think about the contests that they have here in the mountains where growers bring their pumpkins and zucchinis to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, compete because they're so huge. I mean, I've seen zucchinis as big as a person and pumpkins that just blow <laughs> your mind. So obviously somebody is producing something and uh, you have to be in love with what you're doing because as you mentioned, gardening is hard. I mean, it's a challenge when you are dealing with other things that are competing that want to eat your garden. I mean, that's a, that's a real challenge. And I think that's where when we learn to come into relationship it makes a difference, and I think that's what they were doing at Sendhorn. And I'll just tell you another little story that might illustrate that is when I was working in my garden, I had a terrible time with ants. And they were, you know, when you work and you till the soil and you do soil treatments and you're doing, I used I hauled organic manure, you know, from my friend's farm. Yeah. And you do all that mm-hmm. work and then you plant something and then something comes and eats it. So the ants were coming and destroying the, um, you know, some of my vegetables, and I got really mad at them. And uh, my husband, being the green man, is like, no chemicals were allowed on our, they were not allowed on our property. And so I snuck in, because my mother used to have, my mother was a gardener, and she would have trouble with ants, and she used um, chloridane to kill the ants. So I thought, damn it, I'm going to, I snuck some chloridane, and I said, I'm getting rid of these damn ants. 
And so I powdered, <laughs> you know, the the outside of the garden with the chlorodane. And then so one day, you know, within a within that week I was out in the garden and I'm walking across and this wasp flies up to me and then he and then he's like he's on the ground and he's jumping up and down in front of me, up and down in front of me. He's like really trying to get my attention this wasp and I thought you know okay well that's interesting and I just walked around it and kept going and then I came back and he was still there and he's just like and he would jump right in front of me and he was on the ground jumping up and down right in front of me and I thought this wasp is really trying to get my attention and I looked down and he had an ant in his mouth ah and oh he my was saying to me this is what I eat and you are poisoning <sighs> Oh. We are we are the pollinators, and you are killing us when you kill the ants. No, oh, wow. And I was what like, I got goosebumps right now. Right now, just even telling you that because it was a huge wake up call for me. I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. You know, I was like, please forgive me. And um, but they're so generous, you know, to want us. They want us to be in relationship with them. Yeah, we don't really understand a lot of things about the connection, like, for example, between the wasps and the ants. And, I mean, I would have been like you. I've been like, give me that diatomaceous earth. I'm spreading it all over the place, you know. Uh, Time to get rid of these things. Because, yeah, you work so hard. And, And I have a garden every year, a big garden. And it's a lot of work. I love it. I love it, and it's yeah. a way that I honor my grandmother, who was an amazing gardener, way beyond my capabilities. But it's a lot of work, mm. and if you see something taking your plants out, it's maddening. <laughs> Wait a second. It's maddening, yes, it's totally maddening. <laughs> but you're right. You have to really try to find out, well, what do I do that's still going to have a balance in nature here, and I'm not going to harm anything else, and... And that's not the easiest thing to find, although there are more natural things that I'm finding make sense and are bringing things, claim to bring things back into balance. But this is no easy task, and I think a lot of first-time gardeners are always surprised when they see how much it takes to just make a basic garden grow, not even magical herbs, you know, but just a basic garden with tomatoes Mm -hmm. and cucumbers. It it can be very challenging. And, of course, weather if the weather isn't cooperating, uh, you have too much rain or not enough rain, or where you are, Michelle, too much heat, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. It's just not not good. I don't know how you have a summer garden when it's 115 out, you know? It makes it kind of challenging. Yeah. Does anybody have a garden out there? Um, you know... Some people do. I mean, we grow corn here in the summer. It survives 115, right? Cotton does. Our citrus does. So we certainly have things that grow. But, um, you know, when I do a garden here in the summer, I have to put sunscreen shades over the whole top of it or it'll just burn up and be gone. Wow. Yeah, that's that's, a challenge. Yeah. And then you don't get much water either, so you have to water these things a lot, mm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I did when I was gardening in the desert, and we discovered that about each other uh, before we got on the the call, is, um, you know, (laughs) because I'm I'm just feeling you because it's such a challenge, but I was determined uh, to be able to grow a garden in the desert, 
and we, I know we both um, lived in Tucson. And so what I discovered uh, through a friend of mine who was growing a similar garden was to use straw bales as the container for the raised bed over which you put the shade like shade cloth like you're talking about. And um, But the straw bales, it's really interesting because they, when it, if it's too wet, they drain. If it's too dry, they hold moisture. If it's too hot, they help to cool. And if it's too cold, they keep it warm. And there's this wonderful thing that happens with, with straw bales. And then, of course, they break down naturally and you work them into the soil. Um, so it's a little bit more labor-intensive having to replace, <laughs> replace your container for your raised bed every year or two. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, work, it works really well. And then you can plant, you know, in the garden like you would a raised bed, but then you can also plant in the hay bale itself. The thing with planting in the hay bale itself is that uh, it breaks the hay bale down a little faster. But we would grow gourds in the hay bales themselves and then the vegetables in the raised bed part of it. Hmm. Wow. What a great idea. That's so, so creative. Now, when you go to create tonics for people, let's go back to the medicinal side of this. So do you have, like, people that come to you and say, this is my challenge, I have this health condition, then do you go and speak with the plant divas to find out what to put together for this person? I do do a lot of channeling in my, you know, I've done it for so long that I don't even think of it that way anymore. But I guess if I had to describe it, I would say yes. Um, I do an intake uh, with some with a client, which can take up to two hours, because what I'm looking at are the patterns um, that emerge, because that will help me to know where I need to go in with the herbs. Because just because they're presenting with a certain symptom doesn't mean that that's the level that I'm going to go in at with the herbs to help to restore. So I'm gathering information. And then after we've spent that time together and, um, you know, which is also coming into relationship, then I drop in, you know, after I get off the Zoom call, I drop in and I receive guidance for what needs to come through for that person. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing to be able to help people in that way. I have a lot of people who come to me that have been to many, many doctors, spent a lot of money trying to, you know, get help. And the herbs are so simple. I mean, they, you know, I have people who are turning things around completely. Can you give us an example of somebody that comes in and what their symptoms are or their diagnosis and then how you're able to find the right tonic for them? Yeah, so the most recent client that I worked with um, is a woman who was not having periods. And she was, you know, concerned and, and rightfully so and wanted to be, you know, she knew she had hormone imbalances and wanted help with stabilizing, normalizing her menstrual cycles. She was, and when she did have a cycle, it would be um, heavy and painful, and she was having some other symptoms. 
And so I knew that with her, it was probably going to take, uh, we're in phase three right now, but phase one for her is I used activator herbs, which are more drug-like, and those are usually the Chinese herbs that I work with. And because I knew that I needed to get her flowing, that was, it was, she actually, this is interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, she actually presented initially wanting help with varicose veins. And Hmm. she's young, you know, she's like 30, 30. And she was really concerned about that she was so young and getting these varicose veins. But, you know, in the discovery process, and finding out, you know, through the health intake that she was not having periods, I said, well, this is pelvic congestion, and that is what is causing these varicose veins. So, you know, I, ah. I gave her some herbs to, yeah, some mm-hmm. activator herbs that got her flowing, got her period to come on. And, um, and then we started working more long-term with the tonic herbs like red clover, which is brilliant absolutely brilliant for balancing female hormones because it it has the ability to open or close estrogen receptor sites so if you need estrogen it's going to open if you have too much estrogen it's going to close and it is a tonic that you take as an infusion so um you know after we got her going a little bit um we started working with the red clover and of course diet was an issue I work on all levels. I believe healing takes place on all levels. So I work, you know, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional, and that's what I teach. Um, I have an academy called Five Element Academy, and and that's what I teach is the five element theory of Chinese medicine, which addresses healing on all levels. So, you know, we just started working on the different levels to relieve this congestion and what it was connected to and the, you know, there were sexual issues and different things like that. And and she's been just making fabulous progress and it makes me so happy to see her, you know, bringing her hormones back online and getting her, her life back online. That's great. Gosh, she must be so happy too because... I know once you get into the medical system with a chronic condition, it's a nightmare. And we did have a guest last week that was talking about that, that how we deal with chronic illness is not good. Emergency medicine is great, but chronic illness is terrible. And it it often leads people down a very, very uh, windy road where they, when the doctor can't really find a reason, oh, then it's all in your head, which is so discouraging. And it happens a lot, I think, to women more than men. But either way, whether it's it's a it's something the doctor tells a male or a female patient, it's very frustrating to hear that when you know there's something physically that's out of balance, and the doctor just doesn't know what it is. Right, because we become so compartmentalized, we've lost sight of the of the gestalt of of healing. You know, the Western mechanistic medical model is about taking things apart, you know, further and further, you know, whether that's the constituents of a plant and then synthesizing them or, you know, body parts that have been, you know, further and further isolated. And then, you know, the specialists aren't talking among themselves and then they don't see the whole picture. Whereas in the Eastern medicine and, you know, Chinese medicine views health as a gestalt. So, what I mean by that is, you know, I'll just use the example 
of um, from my midwifery days is that when a baby is born and it sees the mother's face, it bo- when it's bonding to the mother, it's seeing that mother's face as a gestalt, kind of the way that we see art. It's not seeing two sep- you know, two separate eyes and a nose and a mouth and two ears and then, you know, adding all of that up and, you know, it just sees the whole. And that's what Eastern medicine does is it sees the whole, whereas Western medicine sees um, the, the components, the parts. And that's why we need a truly integrative model. Um, we, we truly need an integrative model, not just one assimilating the other. And the other thing, too, you know, what you were talking about with chronic um, diseases and why the Western medical model falls so short is that when you, you know, again, their tools are drugs and surgery, so brilliant for trauma medicine and, and other things as well. But when you use an intervention, when you, you know, even just giving somebody an antibiotic, or antibiotic and I'm not saying that they're not life-saving or that they're not needed, but when you interfere with a natural process, see, we've become so afraid of the natural process, but when you intervene in a natural process, you are going to create a need for another intervention to deal with the complication that the first intervention caused. And that's what we're That's seeing. true. Yeah, yeah, we truly are. And with this whole thing around the COVID and vaccines, it's, it's raised it up to a whole other level. So it's mm-hmm. it's a very, uh, very challenging uh, road to navigate. But why not do as much naturally as you can and establish more of a balance? Like you said, in your diet and the herbs you take, vitamins you take, whatever, that these things have to have a, a purpose, an intent to bring you back into balance. And that is something that I don't see very often for people. It's more of the quick well, we, fix. We, just, just give me the pill, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly, because we're trusting the expert rather than trusting ourselves. And, you know, we all have an inner navigation system that leads us to exactly what we need in every given moment. But because we've become disconnected and we no longer trust our own, you know, internal guidance system, we've become lost. And so we look to the expert to tell us what to do. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't attract an expert into our field through our resonant frequency to bring us the peace that we need, but that is a different energetic process than purely searching outside of ourselves for an answer that actually already exists within. I agree. I think it's it's very mm-hmm. troubling to me how many people hand over their health to somebody that's supposed to be an expert. And they don't yep. participate. They don't do any research. Right. They they don't check into anything. They don't question their provider. They're just like, oh, here's my symptoms. Give me the prescription or the surgery. Yeah. That's all they can do. Yeah. Prescriptions or surgery. Yeah. And and then they, they get disappointed when they don't get the result. Well, hey, you've got to be a part of this somehow. And even people that have very deadly diseases like cancer, and it's like, why aren't you getting involved? And the people that I see that have the best outcome are the ones that are involved. They have the relationship. They're, they're checking in with themselves to see what's best for me. 
okay, my team of doctors are giving me suggestions, but I'm going to be the one that makes that determination. Those are the people mm-hmm. that I see recover. Right. There's yeah. a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, a, it's taking a level of responsibility. And, and participation. Been, and it's everything you're talking about. You know, you're talking about the relationship that people have lost. They've lost that with themselves. They've given it up because they're lazy. I think people are really lazy a lot of times. And and they're just, <laughs> they don't want to do it. They're like, just fix me. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take care of it. I think, you know, yeah. Fear comes into it as well. And fear is very right. paralyzing. So, you know, when you have somebody tell you that you have a life-threatening disease, uh, you know, then you go into fear, and that fear is very paralyzing, and that makes it easy, it makes you very suggestible for whatever solution is being perceived that, you know, they want to give you or sell you or whatever. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Michelle, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, I, I do believe it is some laziness, and I do believe it is some fear. But then I also believe that just in general, people have given their power away. So we always believe everyone else knows what's better for us, whether that's your medical doctor, your teacher, your um, religious leader, whoever it is. And so there's, there is some of both of those components in there, but we also have given our power away and, and forget that we actually do know what's right for us. Yeah, because we're yeah. afraid of our power. We're afraid of, we're afraid yeah. of how powerful we really are. Yeah, I don't. And I, yeah, I think some people are afraid of it, and I think other people really are just unconscious to the fact that it's there. They just don't know it's there. Yes, that's mm. true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yep. And it's yeah, you don't know it's... what you don't know, right? <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. You are so right. It's just, yeah. It's so oh far, goodness. I've I've heard in business terms, you know, they talk about the two percent that are the innovators and then there's, you know, and it's true. It's really a very small percentage of person, you know, the two percenters that are going to, you know, see what's happening and what's, what's, you know, really going on and be the, you know, be the innovators and the change makers. Well, again, it is the way we've been raised is to trust these institutions to figure it out for us. And, you know, if we haven't learned anything in these last few years, then we're really in trouble. But if you have learned that these institutions really shouldn't and don't deserve all of your trust, then you're okay. Then you can take the next step that are being that would be in your best interest. I mean, I know I, people talk to me a lot about autoimmune disease because I know a lot about it, and I'm horrified mm. when I hear that people are being diagnosed with these at younger ages. I'm hearing about four-year-olds with autoimmune diseases, 18-year-olds with autoimmune diseases, that formerly you wouldn't even hear about it until somebody's in their 40s or 50s. Now you're hearing about children. And these poor children that are taking 20, 30 pills a day, and I'm talking vitamins, I'm talking medications. It's, It's just incredible and awful that this is going on. So I'm seeing this trend well, of younger people getting these horrible diseases and getting all this medication thrown at them. Well, it breaks my heart, and it also is why I teach what I teach. 
And I hope that what I teach will someday be taught as a matter of course to our children so that they learn how we are in relationship with that which heals us. But with regards to, so in the model that I teach, which is five element theory, the water element is where the ancestral, it's where we receive our ancestral inheritance. And the name for that in Chinese medicine is the Jing. And there are things, so when we come in, we come in with this ancestral inheritance and we have something called a prenatal Jing and a postnatal Jing. And that is the postnatal Jing is all of the uh, chi that we're going to have in the system for this lifetime. When you start injecting kids with whatever, that insults and disrupts the jing so it's happening at a very foundational level so that so there's all these correspondences and so the water element corresponds with the kidneys and the adrenals and when you disrupt at the level of the kidneys and the adrenals that's what's giving rise to all of these autoimmune diseases and Hmm. makes sense you know yeah it's, it's a big conversation but it's you know it's so explained. I mean, all all pharmaceuticals overheat the liver, which is the wood element, which then depletes the water element. So you have this water element that, that holds this jing and is cooling the, the liver. So the liver is, you know, working to filter the blood. And when it gets congested or overheated, in fact, we see, you know, all – hormone imbalance has its root in the liver and when it's overheated because we've depleted the deep feminine watery yin it can't cool itself so it just sets up this vicious cycle of 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 depletion and when and that's what we're seeing in the children at a very young age is we've disrupted this whole thing at the at the very foundation of you know where the energy comes from for all of the other systems. And that's kind of a big that's problem. Scary. But, but there is Yeah, and, a, and it's scary know, because nobody's going to pick this, pick up on this except people like you. I mean, doctors aren't going to figure that out. They're just going to throw more medication at them. That's right. So people have to want to get educated. And that's why I created an online university because I'm just trying to educate as many people as I can to go, you know, this stuff doesn't just happen it doesn't just land on you it it gave rise from you know a series of imbalances that might have started you know at one point but then that imbalance gave rise to another imbalance that then has created you know the symptoms that you're experiencing now but if we can go in and restore that system then the whole system can get restored i mean there's a point at which we move into what i call big d disease and which is much more difficult than, I mean, herbal medicine is really good for keeping everything in harmony and not moving into a big D disease process. But you're right. People have to want it. They have to seek it out. Um, and I, you know, bless you for doing what you're doing to create a form where people can, you know, connect and maybe learn, you know, open their minds to other possibilities. 
Well, it's very important uh, for us to offer this platform for that reason. And there, there's just too many things going on in the world of chronic illness and not enough relief. It just keeps getting worse. And when I talk to people, I tell them honestly, I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you don't get involved with your own health care and you don't get involved researching all of this, you're going to die like a dog. You will. So it's up to you. You get involved. You inform yourself. You get a great team together, handpicked by you, of who you want to work with. You want to work with an acupuncturist, an herbalist, you know, a medical doctor, a rheumatologist, whatever. You get your team together. You pick them. And then you go from there. You make your own decisions. And the team is a very important aspect. Uh, We have to work in teams. I have a my longest, one of my longest girlfriends uh, just passed away from cancer not too long ago. And oh, no. she, out, Sorry. she outlived, yeah, she was special, man. And she, but she outlived her diagnosis by, I don't know, you know, seven, eight years at least. And it was, I mean, they weren't giving her long to live. And she outlived it. And she put together a team that was amazing. She had her oncologist, she had her nurse practitioner, she had her body worker, she had her acupuncturist, and she had a, I call him a shaman, but he was actually, um, he would, you know, officially he's a leukemia priest uh, in the tradition of, um, you know, an, the African tradition. I mean, people have called it voodoo, but that's a bastardized word for uh, that tradition, but he came out of that tradition, and he would divine, his birth was divined, and he would divine everything for her, like whatever treatment they came up with and whatever the next phase of, you know, that she was supposed to do, and he would divine it, and he would say, yep, you can go in that direction, or nope, don't do that one, and they just all worked together, and it was amazing to um, see her be so sick to going to where she was traveling to Italy and, um, Mm. you know, really had a a great another seven or eight years um, with uh, dealing, you know, while living with cancer. Good for her. See, that's that's a, a winning solution. It really is. She did the best for herself. You know, I've heard stories, for example, there was one I heard last year that was horrifying to me where the doctor said to the patient, who I knew, and I knew her diagnosis, which was an autoimmune disease. It was quite deadly. But the doctor said to her, either you take this medication, which was a form of chemotherapy with a ton of side effects, or I will put you in the hospital for a psych evaluation. Now, I said to her, get another doctor. My God. Why would you want a doctor that's going to threaten you with a psych evaluation if you don't want to take these chemicals that have so many side effects, the side effects may indeed kill you instead. So there's just so much out of balance when doctors start to talk to their patients that way, and there's a lot out of balance when patients think they have to listen. Well, this is not uncommon. We, Our medical system has been taken hostage. It's frightening. Yes, it it's is. It's frightening what's yeah. happened. I mean, it's just absolutely outright, unbelievable, unthinkable, horribly uh, 
what what has happened to our medical system. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's, it's just a big corporation now. So it's too bad. It's really too bad. But this is all the more reason to have people listen to the show and understand they have choices, that there are people like you that have this incredible knowledge and that you're able to walk people through this in a very different way, in a very natural way, in a very supportive way, and it it, it empowers people. It gives your patients, your clients, all of this personal power so that they can see the healing process actually happening. They can feel good about participating in it. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, empowerment, that's the key, right, is you know, mm-hmm. is, is to make the empowering choice. And I do believe that we're all making the best choices that we can, given the resources that we have for making those choices. So the key is to is how do you increase your resources? Because if you can increase your resources, then you can increase your choices. You can make better choices. And, you know, that's why I like the term chi, you know, because it's, when I see somebody, it's like, well, how much chi do they have in their system? That's all the available energy they have for being able to do anything. And, you know, so if we can increase our resources, our chi, then we can, you know, do the next thing, make the next best mm-hmm. choice, you know, be what able to, I, I try to keep yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. just going to ask, what, what is something that we can all do that will increase our chi? Is there something or we can, an herb that's good for us to take with? Is there something specific for that? Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, each person is different depending on what they're dealing with. But I think one of the mm-hmm. greatest allies that we have right now are the adaptogens, the adaptogenic herbs. And mm-hmm. what I would say say about those is, you know, the Chinese are masters at formulation. They've been doing this for thousands of years. Um, the Western approach, you know, I mean, we've, uh, we have a broken tradition. I mean, we have a brilliant tradition, but the Western European herbalism is a broken tradition because of how many of our healers were killed during the, you know, the Inquisition and the Crusades. Right. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that knowledge was lost or went underground. I mean, I don't believe any all knowledge is ever lost. It just goes into the place where it came from in the beginning, you know, to begin with. But um, the Chinese have an unbroken lineage of thousands of years of formulation. So they are very good at putting together formulas with these adaptogens. But what I'm seeing is that there's Western companies that are trying, that are throwing all of these herbs together, you know, as a way of selling them. And really what you ought to do is just find one adaptogen that can support you. Work with that one. This, they remediate stress, and we know that, you know, stress is the number one killer. And um, they help to, you know, remediate that and then, you know, just come into relationship with it that way. But I think adaptogens are really, really important right now. And then the Chinese formulas, if you find a good acupuncturist to work with, they'll know the right formula for you. And most of those formulas contain adaptogens. Mhm. So we need that. <laughs> yeah, I need that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, herbs like mm-hmm. one more to take. Ro- ro- yeah, that, yeah. Ashwagandha—that's a good one. 
mm-hmm. the medicinal mushrooms and cordyceps and um, you know these kinds of adaptogenic herbs powerful and they are I, reishi grows wild here where I live and nice. I love going here too. reishi hunting and they're so aren't yeah. they gorgeous they are so they're beautiful, beautiful. They yeah too. I that's love so them cool. that's so cool and nice. yes so I you know I harvest them usually in the spring and then I dry them and and keep them for tea and it's it is such a great relationship it's something I, I look forward to every spring and I love making the tea because I was involved in the harvest and it's just it's such a different feeling than going to a store and buying some powdered reishi and throwing it in a cup. Such a different thing. Yes. And they're good in soup stock. I mean, it's a little, um, you know, on the bitter side, but I put, you know, the when you buy it commercially, they've sliced it because it's such a hard you know how hard it is. Very fibrous, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they slice it really thin. And I make um, soup stocks with all of these Chinese herbs and mushrooms. Uh, it's a great way to get your medicine. And uh, reishi is one of the things I put in my soup stocks. That's neat. I've used the white part of the reishi and eaten that, but I know you're not supposed to eat the other part because it's so fibrous you really it can make you sick if you eat it, but I can see making stock with it. That that's a good idea too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait! Yeah. I can't wait to go reishi hunting this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so looking Beautiful. forward to it. Yeah, I mean, and there are. I wish I knew more about mushrooms, but I know that reishi is the only one I trust myself to actually know. <laughs> It's not going to kill me, but there are so many beautiful mushrooms out there. I just don't have the knowledge to actually go and pick them and feel safe with them. And, and there used to be a woman that lived up here from Poland, and she knew her mushrooms. Unfortunately, she passed away, but she knew what to look for. She knew how to tell the difference between one that was poisonous and one that looked very much the same that was not. That's quite an art. With mushrooms, it's a it's a science. Yeah, it's a science. I remember um, one time I got invited to the Telluride Mushroom Festival. Boy, was was that a fun festival! And the culinary <laughs> artists came from all over the world, and uh, we're teaching how to do spore identifications, you know, on the mushrooms. So it's it's quite a science and art uh, identifying mushrooms. Yes, and I know Paul Stamets, I'm trying to get him on the show to talk about mushrooms, and uh, there's a lot of research he's done about the electromagnetic connection among mushrooms. It's fascinating. So, it's, again, very very similar to the work you were discussing with uh, Marcel Vogel and the plants, and here's Paul doing this with mushrooms, and again, very powerful connection among the plants, among the mushrooms. So it's, it's so important for us to know these things and to yeah, realize I, that I, we need this. Yes. I honestly believe that mushrooms and seaweeds could heal the world. Yeah. Hmm. Two, I think two you're right. That could, two foods that could heal the world, mushrooms and seaweeds. I think I'm going to go on a diet. (laughs) (laughs) 
interesting. Well, yeah, they're saying lion's mane can restore memory. And reishi, well, that's the king of mushrooms that just restores everything. So, there's, yeah, there's just so much knowledge there that it's finally, it feels like it's finally coming back out into the world. Does it feel like that to you, that we're finally free to talk about this stuff? Yeah. I mean, but we got to keep talking about it because, as you know, our freedom of speech has been tremendously, uh, <laughs> whew, I don't even know if compromise is a strong enough word. And it's happening it's in not. the medical yeah. community. Yeah, it's happening in the herbal medicine. It's happening uh, you know, on all levels with the powers that be that want to control the money interests and uh, limit you know, our that's true. access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's so sad and it's so true. It's absolutely the truth. What a lot of people in our audience didn't realize until we started talking about it, they're also censoring people about the paranormal. So don't think everybody out there that it's not going to affect what you like to hear about also because the paranormal, they want to own everything. And they don't want us to be empowered. So whether it's herbalism or UFOs, it doesn't matter. If if we allow this to continue, it's really going to get bad. But thank goodness more and more people are speaking up. Hey, Elon Musk took over Twitter. Let's hope that makes a difference. So all of these things, we we need to have these conversations so that we get back in charge of our own health and welfare. So So we make the decisions on how we want to treat our bodies and the foods that we want to eat. And we need to make those choices in a good way. Do you I find hope. people, are like your clients, are, are making better choices? Are they eating healthier now? Absolutely. But, you know, they have sought me out. So that tells you a lot right there. Somebody who has actually sought me out is somebody who's more than likely, uh, you know, already you know, well, here, here's, I require that all of my clients keep a two-week food journal before I see them. And that has been a great screening tool because that tells me how much somebody <clears throat> is willing to invest in, you know, time. And in other words, if they're willing to keep a two-week food journal, and I need that for obvious reasons, um, then they are going to be more likely to, make the effort to fix, to do the infusions or to get whatever it is that they need to incorporate into their diet or their, you know, regimen to get well. And so, yeah, most of the people who seek me out and work with me are already um, have, a, I guess, a level of consciousness about about their health. Those food journals are really, really helpful, but they're so confrontive when you realize what you've been eating. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> like, did I really eat that donut? Well, it was gluten free, you know. Right, right, right. But, well, no, 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 you know? no blame, blame, shame, or guilt at all. That's you know totally not in the equation. Um, it's just a, a lens, a lens through which to start a conversation about how these things are in relationship with the rest of us. Of you know whether it's our uh, you know, our goals that, you know, what do we want to achieve? I mean, that's always what I ask somebody when they come to work with me is like, what, what do you want help with? And, you know, what do you want to achieve? And so, you know, just, it, and it has to happen in baby steps because these are, 
deep patterns. These are long-running patterns. So if we can start to tease out just one pattern, it can shift everything. The simplest thing can make the biggest difference. Yeah, mm. that's right. I like that. I have a question. Yeah, I like that too. I, I have a question about comfrey. Because for a long time, back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, everybody was using comfrey. And then all of a sudden, there was something wrong with comfrey. It was like, oh, it can be dangerous. I forget what it was. But then comfrey kind of went out of favor. What's the story with comfrey? I love that herb. But is it? Is there anything toxic about it that we need to know about? Comfrey is amazing. I use it all the time. Um, I grew it when I had a midwifery practice. I grew it in my garden, and I used it for healing perennial tears as well as for you know helping to heal internally after birth. And it's just brilliant. Um, there's two different kinds of comfrey. So you've got um, some phytomethicinal, and that has that beautiful purple kind of blue flower. It's the mm-hmm. white flower comfrey that has the higher um, alkaloids in it that could be potentially liver damaging if you are taking a lot of it. Now, there's a difference between the root and the leaf. So the leaf, I don't think you could, you know, again, you want to be using a fish now, and I don't think you could ever get into trouble using that in soups and in infusions or however you use it. I've helped people heal you know, broken bones and all kinds of things um, with the infusions. The root is another story. I only use the root in my salves for external use. So it's just knowing how to use it, like with most plants. I think we started out by saying, you know, all plants are poison. It's just the, right. it's just the dosage. <laughs> yeah, so it's how, how you're using it and being aware of the – that's why it's important to know the genus and species of the plant that you're using because a lot of them have common names, and then people get confused about what it is that they're actually using. Yeah, because I think the what started uh, out great with comfrey then turned into oh you can have what, liver damage or something from the alkaloid content in comfrey. Was that it? Was was it liver damage? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's I still have of part of my memory intact. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of plants that have alkaloids that are going to be damaging in high doses to the liver. So. You know, but what has done in the cover your ass movement is to make, you know, all of them, <laughs> you know, dangerous, right? Oh, no. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, just about every herb is contraindicated in pregnancy because you got to cover your ass. So we're, yeah. you know, miss, missing a lot of medicines that are incredibly valuable by doing that one. But it, it's just a matter of knowing what you're working with and how to work with it. Exactly. Now, Sia, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to work with you? My website is theasummerdeer.com, and that's Thea, T-H-E-A, and summer like the season, and deer like the four-legged. So theasummerdeer.com, and that has portals that will take you to other places like my blog, uh, which has helped a lot of people. I've continued to write about the plants uh, in a way that helps people through my blog. And um, and then, of course, my music. You want to check out my music. But if they land on theasummerdeer.com, you can, you know, 
go where you want to go. <laughs> okay, that's great. And again, the name of the book that's so beautiful here is Wisdom of the Plant Divas, Herbal Medicine for a New Earth. Thea, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I, again, urge everybody to buy this book so that you have a deeper understanding of how to work with these herbs and plants and to create your own medicine wheel garden, which is all in the book, all of these beautiful things. Mm. So thank you. Thank you you Mm -hmm. so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. Yeah, I'm so glad that we found each other. Yes. Well, you keep us posted on your Mm -hmm. next book. <laughs> so will. we can have you back again. And yes. well, uh subscribe to everybody should subscribe to uh you know my newsletter and then that way that's the best way for me to keep in touch with you. That's perfect. Okay. I think I signed up today, so I'm all set. So oh, <laughs> everybody sign up. Thank you. Yeah. yeah and well, I only thank send you. I only send new- newsletters out quarterly, so nobody gets inundated. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, thank you again, Thea. This has been wonderful and so helpful to all of us that are, that want to have a better balance in our lives and, and health. If you don't have your uh-huh. health, you don't have anything. Isn't so, hey, mm-hmm. Michelle, who do we have next week? Do we, I forgot to look on our little calendar. Did you look? <laughs> I did, but I forgot, too. I've got to look again. Oh. <laughs> we need more lion's <laughs> I mane. I earlier. So. And we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know we're going to have another wonderful guest. So everybody, make sure you join us next week because I know it's going to be exciting, whatever it is we've got. Oh, it's Romy I, Bueller. Uh, oh, the animal communicator. Yes. Yes. Okay. Everybody, all of our people out there who love animals, we know that it's just about all of you. Uh, that's who we're going to have. And she is a very special animal communicator. She's going to be with us for the whole 90 minutes, so make sure you join us. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.